right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. And uh, I am your host of this question and answer based podcast where uh, you, the listener, get to send me, the host, questions about OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and treatment of those things. Um, and uh, if you send me, if you go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to submit a question there, and uh, you can message me there. I will get it, I will read it, I will consider it, and likely speaking, I will put it up on a future episode. I'm going to say likely because you never know, and we're all accepting uncertainty here, right? But but seriously, very likely it's going to go up on an episode uh, at some point in the future, perhaps ages and ages hence, but um, it will go up on the interwebs. So if you're a returning listener to the FearCast and you like the show, it would mean a great deal to me if you were to go over to wherever you listen to podcasts, give it a review, give it a rating. Uh, ultimately, what it does is that the more ratings, the more positive reviews it gets, uh, the higher in the rankings it gets and, and the more eyes will see it and then the more people will find it. The more people who listen, the more questions, the more questions, the more podcasts, and we will just keep this going. So if you found this to be helpful, it will likely be helpful for somebody else too. And that is the whole reason I do this show. So this is going to be a slightly different episode. So while I typically will answer numerous questions on this, today I'm going to be answering only one, and I'm not going to be the only one answering it. So the question uh, this week comes from Bob. Bob says, would you be able to get Dr. Michael Greenberg on the podcast to talk about rumination and his approach to ERP? And you know what I said to, I, I said to Bob, I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'll try to reach out to Dr. Greenberg and see if he'd be willing to come on. So I did, and he was, and he is on the show. So I interviewed him for the podcast, and then uh, you can listen to the interview, and then uh, after I'm going to add a couple little things, because I, I, I totally forgot to ask him a couple of things, and unfortunately, I couldn't get him on, but I'm just going to offer some other thoughts that I have um, after the interview, so you can hang out after the interview and hear my other thoughts on this. But before that, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Greenberg. So, Dr. Michael Greenberg is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in treating obsessive compulsive disorder with the OCD Associates in Beverly Hills, California. So, in addition to seeing clients in person and online in California, he is also licensed in New York, Florida, Virginia, and Minnesota. Dr. Greenberg has a special interest in working with Pure O with primarily mental compulsions, including HOCD, POCD, and ROCD. He joined me today to talk about his his treatment method for OCD, focusing on the elimination of rumination. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Michael Greenberg. All right, well, Dr. Greenberg, I appreciate you taking your time to uh, uh, to spend some time with us here on the podcast just to talk about your approach and your your thoughts about rumination and how it works and what we can do about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So, um, so I'm I'm really excited to talk about this. I know that there has been some I I uh, well we'll 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 say controversy, but I'm I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that. What I really just want to talk about is just some ins and outs of the approach about rumination. Um, I, when I first heard about your approach, it was exciting. There was an an element of. Uh, and this this is the word that came to mind for me, and it might sound ridiculous to you, which is totally fine. Uh, there's an there's an element of intoxication to it. Oh, that's interesting. Why? How so? What do you mean by intoxication? It's, it's I know it's it's very silly, and I haven't spent a whole lot of time really delving into why that word. But it's it's this excitement of I, we could help people to eliminate OCD in a sense. We could help people to get to that place of you know not. Ultimately, with the idea that you can help people just to stop ruminating, mm -hmm. is is like that's isn't that the, the the ten million dollar question? Is if we could do that, wouldn't that be the thing that everybody's asking for? Yeah, right. So I think it's interesting to use the word intoxicating because to me, intoxicating makes me think of something that's like mysterious and idealized. Mm -hmm. And I think of my approach as like very straightforward, very simple, very not shrouded in mystery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meaning there, I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying it's like, you know, one, two, three, five minutes later, if you know how to not ruminate, the case is over, but I'm, there's nothing um, like heady or like uh, super out there about this approach. It's actually, it's actually, I think very streamlined. 
Mm -hmm. It narrows things down a lot. Right, right. Yeah, it seems like there is a I, I've spent some time trying to read read all, all all of your articles. I think I missed maybe one or two on your website just to wrap my head fully around this. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to miss things and misunderstand things. But I'm glad I'm speaking to the source on this. Um, I just to clarify some some of these approaches. And and, yeah. and, and I will say I'm going to fanboy just a little bit because I've tried to use some of these approaches in with my sessions since I've been reading about it. Um, and to I mean, I'll certainly say to varying degrees of success, but also to varying degrees of success. Yeah, they work. It works. Like, so, so we, this is all we do in the practice. Now we front load every treatment with response prevention of rumination. And then we only move on to exposure once we have that nailed down. And it is, a, it's a game changer. Right. You, you've gotten rid of a huge preponderance of the issue before you even start exposure. And then exposure is much easier and much faster. Right, right, and as and as I was um, when I first heard about this approach, you know, I, I I bristled at some of it, as did I'm sure a gaggle of other people, um, be, because it is it, it feels topsy turvy. But ultimately, it, the more I read about it, the more I realized that it's it's not, and that that your approach and and the way that I've been approaching treatment has been there. There's a lot of similarities. I tell people that if you could do anything, exposure response prevention, do response prevention. And also, I have my. I'll take the approach of well, it's a controversial approach of feelings are stupid, but we can talk about that. But it's that, um, and I can explain. I don't, on. I don't think feelings are stupid. Are you saying that for yourself or for me? For for me, for me, for okay. It, I think it, feelings are important, but they're not. I think the point of intervention. Yes, it's it's yeah. to say they're not the most important thing to think about, or they 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 don't drive the ship. Their information, but it's a colloquial stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. 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 Anyways, I keep on board with that. I, what I, I think that, um, I think feelings are important, but I don't think that trying to change feelings is fruitful. So I think what you want to try to change is the thought process and that certain feelings will follow. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's not, the, it's not, it's not, I don't think trying to change feelings is a good idea. I think validating and understanding feelings is a good idea. Yes. And then our point of intervention is thoughts and behavior. Right. Well, so with, um, so with with all of that said, um, so with your with your approach, my understanding is is that it, everything hinges on this on this idea of rumination. On um, OCD is ultimately it, it, if we can address the rumination, we address the 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 the, the primary driver of it. So yes, yes, but okay. it doesn't obviate the need for like exposure and response prevention. Meaning, it's if a person is still avoiding or doing other compulsions. Like we need to address that. So it's not, I think sometimes people think that my approach is like, oh, if you just stop ruminating, that's the whole treatment, but it's not, it's saying, oh, excuse me. Um, sorry, that was a reminder. Um, <laughs> it's not saying that not ruminating is the whole treatment. It's saying that not ruminating is the cornerstone and the starting point for the treatment. Mm -hmm. Then you still need to do the exposures and the response prevention, eliminating avoidance, eliminating compul other compulsion, Right. So it's not saying that it's the totality of the treatment. It's saying it's the foundational piece. Okay. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, that, that's fair to say. And I'd love it in, in, in a little bit to also talk about what are some of the examples of, uh, of how you use ERP and how you can, how mm -hmm. we can do yeah. exposures in, mm -hmm. in a non-compulsive, non-ruminative fashion. Cause it, mm -hmm. in, in some of the writings, it almost sounds like, I think you explicitly said, any thinking that you're doing about the obsession is compulsive rumination. So I, I think that there is some some confusion there. But if, if you could, could you give me yeah. a, a summary or give the the, the, the listeners uh, a summary a summary of your treatment as rumination? Um, I have that happen all the time. All right, I promise I turn my phone to do not disturb, but I don't know if there's a setting for like turn off reminders on your computer. So that's, uh, that's what's happening. But I think I'm done. I think those are all of my reminders that are going to pop up. That's totally fine. And as uh, <laughs> like, a, like treatment for somatic OCD, we're going to just get used to the distraction from time to time. <laughs> I, ha I, ha I have more to say on that. Okay. So to just um, to reiterate the question, yes. you want some clarification on how this fits into ERP? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, basically, and I'm going to hopefully literally tonight put up an article on specifically this topic, but when you, basically, when you discard, the premise of this whole idea 
is that you don't is that you don't really habituate to anxiety. Anxiety is like a behavior. Anxiety is reflective of rumination. And you don't habituate to a behavior. You don't habituate to making pasta and you don't habituate to ruminating. So you might habituate to fear, but you're not going to habituate to anxiety. So anxiety will go on until you stop ruminating and telling somebody to embrace being anxious is telling them to embrace ruminating. Does that make sense? Okay. So based on, based on that premise, and if somebody wants to argue with that premise, you know, they can, that's my premise, right? Which is that anxiety is, is reflective of rumination. It's therefore a behavior. It's not subject to habituation. And if you make that assumption, which I make, then you discard the whole role of habituation in maintaining OCD and also in ERP. So you're discarding the role of habituation. Mm-hmm. When you discard the role of habituation, everything changes about um, not only how you do ERP, but also what you do as exposure. So taking those one at a time, and mm-hmm. I'll be very clear about this. Okay. What changes about how you do ERP is that as you're doing it, you are trying to maintain extremely, extremely minimal anxiety. So this is ironically the return of suds. So I went to, I forgot about suds for a few years and now all of a sudden I'm back to suds because I want to make sure it's like zero to one. Okay. And if it's higher than zero to one, then I'm like, oh, I think we're ruminating in some way. Mm -hmm. And we want to address that before we continue with the exposure. Mm -hmm. So suds are back. And we're, uh, we're trying, we're trying to keep anxiety low while we do the exposure. That's how you do exposure. Then the other question is what to do as exposure. And this is where this model makes things extremely, extremely simple. And this is, this is the article I'm about to publish. The only types of exposure that we do in, if you want to call it rumination focused ERP, the only exposures are one eliminating avoidance, right? If there's something you don't do, do it. That's one type of exposure, very straightforward. And the other one is confronting a trigger in order to practice not doing a compulsion. That is the, those are the only two. Well, okay. One more. Those are the only two types of exposure. The only two types of exposure are eliminating avoidance and confronting a trigger in order to practice not doing a compulsion. Mm -hmm. That's it. So what's notable about that is a couple of things. First of all, is it's extremely streamlined. And so all the questions about what to do as exposure and all the creativity is gone. It's extremely straightforward what to do as exposure. If there's an avoidance, do it. Do if the there's thing. a trigger, confront it without doing a compulsion. Mm-hmm. And notably, this is, this, is, this is saying that the purpose of confronting a trigger, the purpose of the exposure is to facilitate the response prevention and not vice versa. If you're coming at this from a habituation perspective, then the goal is the exposure because the goal is the habituation. And the only reason you care about response prevention is because it's going to get in the way of the anxiety, which is what you want because you want habituation, right? If, if you discard the role of habituation, then the purpose of the exposure is the response prevention. We want somebody to learn that they can confront a trigger and that they have the, the choice to not do a compulsion. Mm-hmm. And then the extra piece that we're adding in is that we also want them to learn that if they confront a trigger and they don't ruminate, they don't actually feel anxious. And I, I, I don't want to say zero, but like they can largely eliminate the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So to, to reiterate in, in very simple terms, okay. how you do exposure is different because you're keeping anxiety low while you're doing it. Right. And what you do as exposure is extremely streamlined to only two things, eliminating avoidance and confronting a trigger without doing a compulsion. And that's the whole story. It's very straightforward, very simple, very streamlined. Right. Right. And it's, and I love the simplicity of it. I do. Exactly. There's nothing, there's nothing heady or what was the word? There's nothing intoxicating. (laughs) This is boring. It's truly boring. Right. And there's nothing extreme. There's nothing creative. There's nothing sexy about this exposure. Right. Literally tell me your list of avoidance. Tell me your list of triggers. We have our list of targets for exposure. We're going to do them and then we're done. Right. We're going to, we're going to do the one. We're going to stop doing the other. We're going to, right. We're going to do anything avoided. We're going to confront any trigger while eliminating any compulsion with an emphasis on eliminating compulsive rumination, which will show you that you can confront a trigger. And if you don't ruminate, it's really not that triggering. Mm-hmm. 
it's you experience it as a trigger because you get scared and you go off to the races and start ruminating. Right, because we're listening to that feeling. Because we're, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's valid. Because we're scared, and what we do when we're scared is we start playing with it mentally and trying to solve this problem and trying to figure out what to do. And if we don't do that, if we make the clear decision to not do that, then that feeling of fear that the trigger evokes resolves very quickly because that's a natural emotion. So it we feel it and then it passes. Mm-hmm. And the manufactured emotion, the anxiety that we manufacture by continuing to ruminate about what happened and what to do about it, Mm -hmm. that does not happen. Mm -hmm. What I, what I, one of the reasons I'm really excited about this conversation is, is the idea that this, that this approach is, it runs counter to what we've always been discussing in OCD land for so long in OCD treatment land. And it, it has been, uh, it again, it, as you said, it, tur- it turns it on its head. Um, I, I have a phrenology statue in, in or a phrenology bust in my office one, for two reasons. One, it I think it looks super cool. Nothing says therapy more than phrenology. Um, but two, it also reminds me that uh, the treatment methods that we have are going to change. And don't get too locked up into one idea because we're going to come up with different ideas and we're going to then look back at the old approaches and say how stupid they were. What I think is interesting about this is that it's not that far off from classical ERP. Mm -hmm. It's just like an inch to the side. It's just like changing it ever so slightly. Mm -hmm. And like I I said in the last, uh, the last game changers asked me anything. Uh I think it's really notable how much this community present company included for many years idealizes ERP Right. Right. I don't mean I don't mean thinks ERP is good. ERP is good. ERP is evidence based. ERP helps, but idealizes it like ERP can take us from start to finish on a case. It's the whole story. Right. Even though there's there's no data to support that. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any study that shows that if you do ERP with a with a sample, you will get them all to zero. Mm. And yet people who have OCD, present company included for many years, think that, that we must be doing the treatment wrong. And as a therapist, if somebody's not getting better, you think you must be doing the treatment wrong. And if only you could figure out how to apply the classical model mm-hmm. to your patient, patient should be getting all the way better, even though, honestly, nobody ever said that. There's no academic basis for saying that. And yet people are very uh, prone to idealizing the treatment, blaming themselves as right. a patient or the therapist, right. and, and very resistant to the idea that we can make this treatment better or slightly adjust it. Even though they're like, why would you not? Nobody ever said it was perfect. And why would you not be able to adjust it? Right, right. And so to, to that point, the, you know, one of the things you've, you've talked about is this idea of, of, of curing OCD. I think mean, that's the, ver- the verbiage you might use or, or ultimately. I, I, I do not use the word curing. Oh, okay. I, I no. may have, I, I put that in quotes in my notes and perhaps I'm wrong. So it, in, it'll ultimately get into the place of, is it cl- complete remission? Is that what you would say? I guess tell, tell me a little bit about what the, what the, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oops. I think we cut out for a second. Okay. So here's, here's how I would talk about okay. this. I yeah. think that the word cure implies that you zap it once and it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, that my model for OCD is OCD equals compulsion and avoidance to the extent that you completely eliminate compulsion and avoidance, you will feel completely better to the extent that you don't completely eliminate it, you will not feel completely better, right? So am I saying that somebody who with a history of OCD will never have a moment or will never have, you know, an episode where they get really scared and then they go back into those old habits and have a problem? No, I'm not saying that. That could absolutely happen. But to the extent that that person reigns it in, eliminates compulsion, eliminates rumination, they will feel better. And And a person can be infinitely better, because there is infinite progress to be made in eliminating these things. And people can absolutely get to the point where there are huge periods of time when they don't have an issue at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that mean that person will never have a moment? I can't guarantee that. Right. I personally have not gotten to that point. I have, I have large spans of time when there is no issue at right. all. Right. And then occasionally you have a moment, right. but in that moment, you know what to do. And you rein it in and you shut it down and it passes and it doesn't, it doesn't just go on forever. So 
does that answer the question? Curing would mean is that it's gone forever. Right. This is like, um, uh, this is saying that the sky is the limit in terms of how consistent and thorough you are about completely eliminating compulsion and avoidance. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's, that, that's fair. It's the recognition that there will still be from time to time blips. There will be thoughts could, because one of the side effects of having a human brain is thought. So we're going to get some of those intrusive thoughts from time to time. But kind of what you're saying is, and I think this is this is the consistency is is what is it that we're doing about it is more important right. than the thought. I would itself. also just to, for the record, sure. I, I, I'm not concerned. I don't think that the intrusive thoughts are at all a part of the disorder. Okay. I don't think that I don't have. I don't. I think everybody has what you would call intrusive thoughts. I don't even think the idea of intrusive thoughts is very helpful. Right. I think that. What I'm saying is that sometimes you get scared and you go back to old habits and you find yourself ruminating and you're like, I know I need to stop, but I'm not stopping. And then you feel bad. And then you say, all right, we're going to stop this now. And you rein it in and you shut it down and eventually you feel better. And then you're consistent with that and you continue to feel better. It's not the intrusive thoughts. It's the rumination. Yes, it's it's again, it, it, but but from your perspective, it sounds like the, the it, with with rumination being an action that we do, a th- yeah, you know, exactly. a, a mental action that we do, yeah. that would be the problem. Yes, that's and, the problem. And, and I, I think that there's it's an important to draw that distinction between the, the thoughts of a thought occurring to you. Right. The, the random thought. And that, that's what I refer to as that's what I'm meaning yeah. about the yeah. intrusive thoughts. It's mm-hmm. we all get them. Here's here's the, the the language that I use to be really precise about yeah. about different mental events is fourfold, and I've said this in other forums, so people have heard this. Yeah, a thought occurring to you, awareness, attention, analysis. Analysis is like rumination proper, mm-hmm. right? When you're literally you know going at it trying to figure out what to do, but directing attention is also rumination. You're still engaged with the problem. So a thought occurring to you. And awareness, nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Directing attention, analysis, absolutely controllable. That's that's what we. That's the point of intervention. Right. The th- the finally the, the yeah the the element that we actually have control over, which is where we're going to place our attention. Right. Where we're going to place our atten- attention, directing attention and analyzing something are controllable. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it it it. Um I mean, it sounds like in, in, in what we're talking about here, there, there, is, a, there is a slight d- departure in a sense from, f- from per- perhaps the idea that, that we're, we're ultimately just not going to think about it. It almost sounded as if it, it took on the, the, the just stop it uh, approach. Um, it, yeah, but I think, I think where people, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Oh, that's no, okay. Go ahead. I think just stop it is not help. It's not just stop it. It's, it's, it's not just stop it for two reasons. Okay. First of all, you have to help people with the methodology of how to stop it, right? It's not just stop ruminating. It's stop ruminating. And here are the things that people struggle with when they're trying to stop ruminating, mm-hmm. right? Here are the methodology issues. In my practice, we say it's a multiple choice test, okay. right? There are really only five things that can happen when a person is methodologically, when a person is trying to stop ruminating. Okay. So it's not just stop it. It's also, I see what you're doing. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this that are getting in the way. Let go of that, let go of that. That's how you stop ruminating. We help you to figure out how to stop and know that you can stop, right? Mm-hmm. And then also addressing justifications for ruminating, mm-hmm. right? Co- cogn- cognitions around ruminating and also addressing emotional functions of ruminating. What's going on here? Why are you doing this? Where does this come from? But at the end of the day, the goal is to eliminate the compulsion. Right. So saying to someone, you have the ability to stop and you need to stop does not mean that that's the totality of the treatment. People mm-hmm. don't come for, you know, 30 second treatment where we say, all right, you're ruminating, please stop and goodbye. Right. Right. But that, that's, that's the, that's the goal. But as um, my colleague, Molly Martinez pointed out, uh, hello, that's literally what all of us are doing in all ERP all the time. We're saying, Oh, compulsion avoidance, stop. Right. Right. That's always, what we're telling people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just introducing the idea that you can actually do that with rumination also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea of ruminating justifications, um, I put it on my post-it note as a reminder as as the the high points of that. So again, I've sure. there's there, there's very much a, a lot that, that I that I have enjoyed. The so I guess could we could, would you mind going over a little bit of some of the some of the the, the ways that you have helped people the ways that you find helpful to getting people to stop ruminating because there is that uh, I, I know we've we've talked before in one of the first AMAs and um, uh, kind of about 
what kind of what, what do we what do we do with those thoughts right because it's it's it sounds conflicting to say don't think about it but then it also sounds conflicting at least in my head to then say well think about whatever you want but you don't have to think about whatever you want so i guess help, help me understand or help some of the listeners understand what yeah. what are some of the ways that you help people to to stop to, to eliminate rumination yeah so um basically Let's see if I can do this off the top of my head, but there are, there are basically five methodological issues that a person can have when they're trying to stop ruminating. Either they are ruminating about something else. Like mm -hmm. for example, they're trying to figure out if they're doing it right. They're trying to figure out how long this is going to last. They're trying to figure out something, mm -hmm. right? They're trying to figure out if they should be doing this. That would be one issue. Mm -hmm. Another issue would be directing attention or monitoring, right? They're not ruminating, but they're paying attention to how anxious they feel or they're paying attention to something. So first one is analysis. Second one is attention of some sort or monitoring. Mm -hmm. Next one is having your guard up, right? You're trying to prevent these thoughts from coming in, which you don't have to do. These thoughts don't come in from the outside. You do them. If you stop doing them, they won't come in, okay. right? So having your guard up. Um, another one is trying to push the thoughts away, trying to not allow the thoughts to occur to you not allow them to enter awareness that is that's thought suppression um, that's that's thought suppression right. that is a rarity i would say that is a, a very small um proportion mm -hmm. of the issues that people have but it's in there it's one of them it's not i think people used to think that was like you know 100 percent of the picture of pure oh it's not mm -hmm. um and then the last one is bad distraction or mindfulness Mm -hmm. And mindfulness as an example of bad distraction, trying to stop ruminating by actively directing your attention towards something else. Mm -hmm. Now, that's different from I'm making the decision to stop ruminating and I, I'm going to then engage with other things. I'm going to distract myself with other things. This is using distraction as a replacement for stopping ruminating. That being the, that being the bad version. That being the bad, the bad version, it's basically trying to force something out of your awareness mm -hmm. by directing your, by pushing something else in. It doesn't work. Okay. You can't push something out of awareness. I have an article on the website that talks about this mm -hmm. in great detail about uh, the article is called awareness, attention, distraction, and rumination. Yes. And I'm never going to win an award for, for article titles. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it goes into this. There, there's <laughs> distraction that's helpful and there's distraction that's, that's really thought suppression in disguise. So that's number five. So those are the five issues that people can have when trying to stop ruminating. And basically it's, it's always a multiple choice test. Which of these things is happening? I can guarantee you one of them is if a uh -huh. person can't stop ruminating and you just have to call it as it's happening. You call it like you see it. That's happening. You're doing that. We're paying attention. We're ruminating about something else. We're trying to do, you know, distraction as a replacement for not ruminating. That's it. So those are the methodology issues. Mm -hmm. um, and then any, anything uh, to go back to your, to the language of your question, yeah. anything that a person thinks they have to do in order to not ruminate is a wrong answer. You don't need to do anything to stop ruminating. Mm -hmm. Just like you don't need to do anything to stop. I don't know. Making your bed. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you, what do you do instead? It's, it, that's an irrelevant question. We're mm -hmm. talking about how to not do something. So we can have confusion and methodological issues around what it is that you're doing that yeah. feels like you're trying to let go, but you're not, yeah. right? We can help you figure out what you're still doing. But the answer is never going to be to do something in order to not ruminate. Mm -hmm. It's going to be to stop doing something, to stop analyzing, to stop paying attention, to stop trying to push it out of your thoughts, to stop having your guard up, to stop trying to focus on other things, to stop focusing on this. Those five things, again, multiple choice test. That's it. It's stop doing those five things. Okay. Okay. Because then to that, to that, to the previous point then about, about, sh about shifting, about shifting attention. We we certainly don't want to shift attention as a, and and I I I, sh I should also say I know that you know we we can sometimes we can sometimes get bogged down with semantics but, and though it's important at times and I you know I know it's important in it sounds like in your approach to be very you know precise very, very precise very with with precise. what we're talking about so you know I 
I, I'm clarifying for also listeners where, you know, we, we, we're, we are ultimately on the same page of trying of, of the ultimate goal. It's kind of the method that we're getting there is whether or not it's of, uh, the goal of helping someone to eliminate OCD's role in their life to whatever degree that we're using. And I know that you have a stance on, on externalizing OCD, but that's for another conversation. But the but anyways, we're, we're on the same team just trying to get to the language of how, mm-hmm. how, it, how it works, if that's all right. Yes, go ahead. I wanted to add that to the extent that you think about um, not ruminating as requiring you to do something, Mm -hmm. you see not ruminating as requiring effort. And if not ruminating requires effort, that means that you're going to have to be making this effort for your whole life. Right. It's a life of doing. People to experience not ruminating as not requiring effort. It mm-hmm. is letting go. If so, uh, one of the questions that I ask when people are learning how to stop ruminating is, was that easy? Mm. And if they say it wasn't easy, then I say, what were you doing? Because I was asking you to do nothing. So what were you doing? What was the effort? What was the work that you were doing? And we need to let go of that. Not ruminating should not feel like running a race mm-hmm. because you can't run a race for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Not ruminating should feel like lying on your couch. Mm-hmm. It should feel like a lack of effort that you can keep up forever. Mm. Now, of course, that doesn't, when you get scared, you might go into it. When you are justifying it, you might go into it, Mm -hmm. right? So we're not, we're, that's a justification issue. But in terms of the experience of not ruminating, when you make the decision to not ruminate, what that feels like, you know, you're getting it right if it's easy. Mm -hmm. If your version of not ruminating is hard, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. If your version of not ruminating means that you're like trying to distract yourself with other things or you are doing mindfulness or you are, um, I, I don't know, whatever it might be, yeah. there's something wrong with your methodology and you're not going to be able to keep that up for your whole life because mm-hmm. you're not letting go. You're working. Mm. So tell me where d- distraction comes in. Effective, helpful distraction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good distraction, bad distraction. Yes, yes. Bad distraction is I'm ruminating. I'm going to try to stop ruminating by by paying very close attention to something else, right? I'm ruminating. I'm going to try to read this book. What happens is that I'm reading this book and I'm also ruminating mm-hmm. because trying to direct my attention over there is, is not going to actually stop me from doing all the analysis. And furthermore, it's, it's trying to push it out of awareness. It's like fighting with yourself. It's really thought suppression. It's distraction as trying to push something out of awareness. That's, that's bad distraction, using it as a replacement for the decision to stop ruminating. Mm-hmm. Good distraction is, is I have decided to let go of ruminating. I have, I, you know, methodologically figured that out. I am not ruminating. And now instead of sitting here thinking about the fact that I'm not ruminating, I'm going to now go get engaged with other things and let myself get distracted and, and um, get involved with something else, which definitely makes it easier mm-hmm. to not ruminate. But it's, not, it's, it's a facilitator. It facilitates not ruminating. It's not a replacement for not ruminating. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not, it's not shoving a thought out of your brain or pretending as exactly. if you're not going to have a thought occur to you it's that you're saying i'm going to go do this and i'm if this thought comes along this occurrence comes along it'll occur to me but i'm not going to spend my time focusing on this i'm going to be focusing on my preferred activity reading a book watching mm-hmm. tv juggling I think, I think i think i think you probably have the right idea but i think the way that we're saying it could that could go either way we're okay, saying yeah. So just to put a, to put a sharper point that's, on it. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, I, I, this is why we're here. If I'm ruminating and I decide, okay, I can't handle these thoughts, so I'm going to watch TV, it doesn't work. I'll just be ruminating and watching TV. Like it might give me some semblance of uh, relief, but it's not really going to solve the problem. Right. So I need to say, okay, I'm not ruminating. I'm making a clear decision to stop ruminating. I'm aware of that problem that is bothering me, but I'm not engaging with it. I'm not directing attention to it. It is there. I am not solving it. Mm-hmm. Done. Now let's go do something else and it will make it easier to keep my mind away from this. It will make it easier to stop thinking about this. Okay. Yeah. If yeah. I'm, yeah, so it sounds like then in there, it's it, it all all of that, all of the redirection. It must be predicated with the decision that I, I'm I'm doing this not to not think, but I'm doing I, I'm not one. I'm not going to think about this quote problem. I'm not going to think about this obsession. Instead, I'm going to I'm going to go do this other thing. 
no, I'm not going to think about this and I'm going to go do this other thing. Yeah, that sounds about right. I also like, again, to be, uh, to be incredibly pedantic. Let's do it. The word to think about is not wrong, but it's not, it's, it's maybe we could be sharper to make things clearer for people who are listening. It's an action word to think. But well, I, mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think to say to think about it is totally accurate. I'm okay. not disagreeing with you. Okay. Um, but we want to draw a distinction between a thought occurring to you being aware of something, mm-hmm. right, and actively thinking about it or analyzing it or directing attention towards it. When you say think about it, like, well, I'm still thinking about it. Like, it's still there, mm-hmm. right? If I know it's COVID. I'm still thinking about it. Right. I'm not thinking about it in the sense that I'm sitting here trying to solve it. So I like to draw a distinction between awareness versus, which is not controllable, versus attention and analysis. Yeah, and I, I, and I like the verbiage you used on a previous AMA of, of recognizing some things as existential problems. And that, that may not be an exact quote, but, uh, but kind of this, it's this no, thing. It's a shared, human, shared uncomfortable human experiences. Right. Like the idea of, go, you know, for, uh, having some calamity, having, dying in a car accident, killing your spouse, uh, going to hell, whatever the obsession is, those are all those existential things that we all don't want, but, but, but they're there, and they're still going to be there whether or not we're attending to them exclusively or whether or not we're just you know, mm-hmm. eating our salad for lunch. Yeah, so to, I, I want to break out what you're saying into two, into two points okay. that I think are both part of what you're saying. Okay. There are shared, uncomfortable human experiences. For example, being ambivalent. A lot of our patients don't like being ambivalent about things. I say they, it's present company as well, right? Okay. Uh, like uh, um, I, um, let's say I, it's an example of ambivalence. Can, is it, can I tolerate that I, um, here, here's an example. Okay. okay. When I was starting um, analysis a couple of years ago, I was really gung ho and very excited to do psychoanalysis. It's something I'd wanted to do my whole life, not my whole life, my whole professional life. And, um, it's, it's, and, weird, it's a very weird childhood very, goal. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very into, <laughs> I'm very, into that. so, um, so what's it called? So I, I was disowning any ambivalence about it, which my analyst pointed out as, as they would do. Um, that's an example of, of disowning ambivalence, but we can also have ambivalence in relationships or ambivalence about a job or ambivalence about our children, right? Is it okay? Can we love them and also hate them sometimes, right? So a lot of people, um, uh, that's an example of a shared, uncomfortable human experience Mm -hmm. that people with OCD are often upset about. That's where a lot of the externalizing comes in. Like, oh, like my OCD is telling me that I hate my children. Maybe you just right now hate your child. Maybe you also love them, but right now you're feeling a lot of aggression towards them and that's okay. That would be an example of like normalizing a shared human experience, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're excited about your wedding, but there's also a part of you that's questioning, you know, whether you're marrying the right person, which again, like is probably normal. It's probably normal to have some ambivalence, conscious or unconscious, Mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's one example. Um, and so that's normalizing shared or being attracted to somebody you don't want to be attracted to. Right. Right. That's not just like, I choose to be attracted to this one person and that's it. And I shut and, that off. I shut off that part of my brain. Is gone. <laughs> so that's one. And then I think the other part of what you're saying is that being, seeing something as catastrophic is not the problem. Being afraid of like, whatever it is, dying alone or mm-hmm. being alone, whatever it is, is, is not the problem. It's okay to be afraid of that. What we need to change is that you're living in fear of it. We need to eliminate all the behavior that is aimed at protecting you from that, the consequence of which is that you're living in fear of it. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to change the fact that that is terrifying. We just need to do nothing about it. And, and, and in turn, like everybody else, be open to that possibility of happening, whatever infinitely small number that is. I'll use a really good, something that really drove this home for me was um, a few years ago, I saw a patient who was very terrified of hurricanes. Uh And while I was seeing her, um, and that obviously had like emotional significance to her. While I was seeing her, it was hurricane season in New York. And there was stuff on the news about how we might get hit by a hurricane and it could be incredibly destructive. And I remember not, not really paying attention. I remember like totally understanding that that could happen, but totally doing absolutely nothing about it. Not, not and it caring. struck me that that when it's not the thing that you, there are plenty of things in our lives 
where we accept that, yeah, something terrible could happen and it would indeed be terrible. Mm-hmm. It would be terrible, but it's not the thing that we're worrying about. And we want to bring that to the things that we're specifically afraid of. We're not saying they're not terrifying, but we're not going to, we're going to stop trying to protect ourselves from them. We're right. going to eliminate the behavior that's aimed at protecting us from them. Right. And, and it, what, as, as, as one of the many sheep who have taken to act, um, and have enjoyed much of it. Um, what, what I, what I also kind of hear, and I'm not trying, you're, what's that? I think, I think you're instigating. Yeah. Good. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Inst- okay. I'll own that. I'm kind of instigating, but what, it, what I also hear in this is, is, and, and maybe I can be completely wrong, but it's almost a, a picking out of, of some points of it for maybe I'm using the act language for the people who are, who are wedded to the idea of act, but it almost sounds like it's, it is the, the acceptance that it, that it is there, the it, the, the thought, the potential obsession, the turning off the struggle switch of, I'm not going to fight with this anymore. And then the recommit, and then the commitment piece. I'm going to go do this whole other thing that's more important to me. Is it almost an emphasis on those three points, and giving the middle finger to the rest of it in the the most therapeutic kind of way? My problem with the act is not uh, any of the things you just said. It's about it's about whether things are clear. Does that make sense? I um I was speaking to Dr. Alice. I think her last name is Richie. R I Z Z. Oh, I feel really bad. That I'm, I'm gonna. I need to get her name right. Having said her name, I need to get it right. That's totally but, fine. Uh, okay. Well, we'll look her up and make sure we get her name right. But I, she's I an example of an act therapist okay. who, based on the conversation that I had with her, I think we practice the same way. I don't have a problem with any any act that she does, but I think that there's a world of other act therapists who are doing things in a mushy like not drawing clear distinctions, not distinguishing between a thought occurring to you and compulsive rumination ways. My beef is not with, with like all of act. It's It's with how act is applied. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. It's like, I'm not not like, uh, I need to, one second, I need to look her up and get her name. Right. Cause having said her name, I need to get it right. Oh, I think I got it right. Dr. Alice, it's either Ritzy or R-I-Z-Z-I. So I think that we are doing the same thing, even though she would consider herself an act therapist and I would consider myself the most anti-act therapist out there. <laughs> right. And and I, okay. And I actually think that that really clarifies some things because I, because there, there, there are elements of what you're saying that are that absolutely f- sound as if they 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 can be pulled from or applied from an act perspective, but we're just kind of using the language. And I think that the when you're, but it's also I'm not trying to tell you. Well, go ahead. So go ahead. It on, so for example, you're saying oh, the idea of acceptance. First of all, the idea of acceptance does not belong to act. That's first of all. Agree. But second of all, the question is, what are you accepting? Are you accepting that this thing might happen? Or are you accepting that you're having these intrusive thoughts? If you're accepting that you're having these intrusive thoughts, I have a problem because you're not having intrusive thoughts. You're ruminating. And if your therapist doesn't call that out, you're never going to get better. Mm. Right? So it depends what we're accepting. Okay. Okay. Or if we're accepting that we have symptoms, yeah. fuck that. You don't go to a therapist so they can tell you to accept the fact that you have symptoms. You go to them so they can fix the problem. Yeah. To the extent that ACT is the formalization of non-treatment mm. as treatment, it makes me explode. Yeah. You do not go to a therapist so they can help you make peace with the fact that you have symptoms. I love how spicy you are right now. I'm just saying I, that. I find it enraging. I think it's like getting cancer treatment and they give you like, like they help you to accept the fact that you have cancer. That, right. is, that is not what you are looking for. It's the, the question is ultimately, what are we going to do about this? Are you going to fix my this. problem? I don't right. want you to tell me to accept that I have a problem and then tell me to recommit to other things that I find valuable. Mm-hmm. I think that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where it then, and I, I totally agree. I'm, I, I'm, I'm absolutely on board with that. And I think that there is that, that those, those elements of, yeah, how are we going to, how are we going to decide that this we're not just going to say, well, I have these symptoms for the rest of my life and I'm just going to kind of have and it's going to suck. Which is, by the way, a lot of like, here's sort of the and this is a stereotype and this is broad strokes. That's but here's kind of what this what this field looks like in a lot of places. It's we have an ERP that doesn't address rumination and kind of works. It works for physical compulsions, but it doesn't really do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when we don't know what to do about the rest, 
we sub in two things. We put in the idea that OCD is just a chronic condition and we take no responsibility for that. We just mm -hmm. say, well, sorry, this is kind of just what it is. And then we schmear on some act to help you accept the fact that we can't fix the rest of your problem. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what this field has looked like for a little while. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And it's how, how do you for for someone who has heard that? For a client who comes to you who has heard that from a previous therapist, what is the what what is the maybe this is such a too broad of a question. What what is what's that? Go for it. What what is the remedy for it? What is, what the, is the remedy for what? I guess how do you how do you help someone? Or let's say you have let's say you meet someone who has accepted that that is their reality that they're going to have to suffer through this. Is there is there a is there an undoing? Is it just more more of then addressing the their, their motivation behind uh, their their various justifications for rumination? Their what, what they're doing to continue to engage in the thought. Well, I think I mean it depends on the case. It depends on why they're yeah. not all the way better. And again, when I say all the way better, I do not mean this person is never going to have a moment where something gets them and they start ruminating and they feel bad for a little while. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying all the way better in that way. I'm saying all the way better. Like there is, this person is not distressed on a regular basis by this disorder. Mm -hmm. They have, maybe they have a blip here and there, but this is not a chronically distressing issue. This is not an issue that they are tolerating or that they're dealing with every day. Mm -hmm. This is not a significant part of their lives. That that's what I think we're going for. And by the way, like, Oh, you can have a Y box five and you can have a Y box five. Like, it, oh, like the same number can look very different. If we're saying, Oh, I spend about um, half an hour, you know, mm -hmm. ruminating a day. I'm pretty sure that in one minute, if you scrape all the things together, I'm pretty sure those would both get you a one on the Y box. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so this can't all be accounted for by, by numbers, but I lost my chain of thought. So it's not a Y box zero. Oh, so what do you do with that case? It depends on what's going on in that case. Why is that person still sick? Mm -hmm. You have to figure out. And I'm not saying that I've cracked every single case. Yeah. Right. But, but that doesn't mean that I like, you know, tell the patient, well, we've already done the, the treatment perfectly and this is just a chronic condition. And now you need to accept that mm -hmm. either. I need to figure out what I'm doing wrong or I need to refer for somebody who has a different approach or, but I, but I wouldn't just tell them like, sorry, that's it. You know, goodbye. Mm -hmm. And that could be the case for other disorders, but I don't believe that that's the case for OCD. Okay. Um, and so la lastly, and, and to, to this point, you, you, you had referenced in, in one of your articles to, to use mindfulness skills for, for an, an, an extreme intrusive thought. I can send you the article. You're giving me the faces if I'm making that up. Yeah, no, no. I'll tell you exactly what I'll tell you what I said. Okay. What I said is that when a person is acutely triggered, right, right, like the meltdown, oh my God, the jig is up. It's real. Everything I've been afraid of my whole life, right. it's real. It's happening right now. Right. I think anybody with OCD can tell you what that feels like. Yes. In that moment, it is incredibly difficult to just say, okay, stop ruminating. Right. And yet in that moment, you have to stop ruminating. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? In those moments, it's a good idea to pull out the coping skills and do everything you can to calm down. That's a good time to go for a run, take a hot shower, hug your teddy bear, whatever you do, including if you do mindfulness and that helps you go for it. Right. Yeah. That is not to, so this, this is two points. Yeah. One is that is not to say that those coping skills are the thing that's going to make you better. Mm -hmm. No, your job is to not ruminate. Your job hasn't changed. Those coping skills are to facilitate mm -hmm. your ability to do what you have to do, which is rein it in. You need to stop, and that's really hard because you're really upset. So do everything you can do to calm down while committing as hard as you can to the fact that you need to rein this in. Right. Right. So that's where I said use mindfulness. You take a hot shower. Do whatever you want. That's okay. not. That's not saying notice that you're ruminating. Be okay with it. That's yeah. not ever what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's number one. Yeah. Um, and number two. Oh, I just I wanted to highlight that yeah. telling people to calm down when they're really triggered sounds really obvious. But if you subscribe to a habituation model, then right. you would actually be telling this person, don't do anything to calm down. Embrace the anxiety. Bring mm -hmm. it on. That's actually what a lot of therapists would be telling a patient in that situation. Mm -hmm. So this is like a hindsight bias thing. Like once you say it, it's obvious, but actually we have people saying exactly the opposite. Yeah. So telling people to do everything they can to calm down yeah. while committing to not ruminating is an example of how things play out differently in treatment. Right. If you discard the idea of habituation. Mm -hmm. Right.
And it, it, that's and, and, and that's a convicting point because certainly in my training as well, I think with the vast majority of other ERP therapists, I've said mm-hmm. that. Bring it on, right? Bring bring it on. Lean right? in, lean in, and basically, if right. you subscribe to the idea, again, I'm going to force anything down anybody's throat. Yeah. But I believe that rumination, that anxiety, is a function of rumination. And if right. you believe that, then telling somebody to lean into the anxiety or to feel anxious on purpose is telling them to keep ruminating. Right. Keep doing the thing that's the problem in the first keep place. Keep doing the thing that's the problem. Right. And I think that yeah, and, and I, I really appreciate you clarifying that that kind of mindfulness skills um, because it's it's kind of like saying, all right, in in these extreme but bonkers circumstances, um, the do what you can to not ruminate. Do what you can to not do the compulsion. Do what you can to calm down. Not not what you can to not ruminate. Do what you can to calm down so that you can implement this not ruminating, which you already know how to do. You've done it in session. You do it on a regular basis. But it's really hard to do that right now because you're terrified. Do everything you can to calm yourself down and while you are as hard as you can not ruminating. Okay, right. And, and yeah, it's kind of here. Here's the here's the structure of the here's some structures of things that you can do. It's kind of like if you break your leg, you know, put a cast on it in a sense. It's doing this thing. It's a loose analogy that my brain gave me for one stupid reason right now. So it's not perfect, but it's this is the thing. These are things that are going to help you to be able to get to that place more effectively. At the end of the day, your only job in this entire treatment is no compulsion, no avoidance. That's the whole story. Mm -hmm. Everything else is how we get there. Everything else is. You know, you know how, what are the methodological mm-hmm. issues you're having eliminating this? What are the justification issues? What is going on here emotionally that you're not aware of that we need to bring into your awareness so that you can let go of certain things, mm-hmm. right? So there, there is a therapy there. There's, yeah. there's, there's meat on the skeleton. But at the end of the day, the skeleton is you got to eliminate compulsion and avoidance, yeah. and including specifically compulsive rumination. Okay. Well, I, I know that you you have uh, you have something coming up in the next few minutes, so I want to release it back to the wild for that. But um, is there is there anything else you want, we would like to punctuate or to? Um, oh, that's a good verb. I'm going to start using that. I love that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, this this seems like an easy or a, a, a realistic exchange. I gave you one word that you already knew, and then you gave me an hour of your your professional time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is is there anything else that you, you'd like to you'd like to say, perhaps to the listener who's who's struggling in in their obsessions or struggling in their in their symptoms, perhaps? As always, my advice is don't give up. Okay. Don't give up. Don't take no for an answer. Like don't rest until you're better. Okay. I like it. All right. Well, Dr. Greenberg, again, I appreciate all of this time. I appreciate your expertise and uh, and your 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 passion for for the subject. So um, so again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. So before I end this episode, I just want to offer a couple a couple extra ideas that I had and some questions that I wish I had asked him. And I'm going to kind of have to make up some of the answers to it based on what he had said uh, or didn't say. And, uh, and, and hopefully, perhaps, maybe in the future, he'd be willing to be on the episode again. Um, but ultimately, uh, as, as he mentioned, he's uh, continually putting out articles and, and, uh, and continuing to flesh out his, uh, his approach. Um, and uh, it's my understanding he's also working on writing a book so he can go further into detail about some of these uh, these approaches. So again, I wish I'd asked him these questions because uh, I think that they are they are important uh, subjects or important topics to go over at, for any theory or any idea for treatment. Now, for any listeners to this podcast, you've heard my approach. You know how I typically approach treatment. You know how we talk about it. You know the, some of the 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 the, the ways that I'll frame things. Um, and and I, I like to think that what I'm doing is kind of within the general tradition of what um, of what typical uh, and mainstream treatment is for. Uh, for obsessive compulsive disorder and its it, its related disorders, one of the things that what, one of the unique things about Dr. Greenberg's approach is that there there are some there are some tremendous similarities, but there are also some very important and very uh, to a certain degree radical. I I think he'd say they're they're radical differences. Um, 
and and that's and, and that's where it's important to highlight the differences between these. I know I said it on the episode, but I, I think it's worth saying we're we're all on the same page in terms of our our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal, Dr. Greenberg's, mine, anybody else in the OCD treatment community, our, our goal is to help eliminate OCD to the, to whatever degree we can and to help somebody get back to their life. Now, we're also going to be talking in very similar ways. We're going to be approaching it in kind of broad strokes in the same way. But very often, different therapists are going to emphasize different things at different times in different orders, are going to not do some things, and are going to incorporate other elements that other therapists won't. While some of these approaches can then make the, make the overall treatment look vastly different, by and large, they are kind of the same. And, and that's perfectly okay. In thinking about Dr. Greenberg's approach more and more, um, I, I kind of think, at least at this point, there can be the, the statement, different strokes for different folks can apply here. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure he'd disagree, and that's that's completely fine. Um, but there are just there isn't necessarily a one-sized-fits-all approach to treatment for every single person in existence. There are going to be some things that are going to be very common across the board for different uh, for, for, for people in this treatment, but there are just going to be different ways that people hear and respond to in treatment, and sometimes that can be in the language, it can be in the, in the straightforwardness. Um, I even find that, you know, it, with people that I treat, sometimes I need to be very direct and be very, you know, cut and dry with the approach. And sometimes I need to be very, you know, kind of hands-off-ish and to have more of a, of a softer, gentler, slower approach. And people are going to respond differently to different things. I think there are going to be a lot of people who respond to my treatment or the way that I approach it as opposed to, you know, some, some other therapists out there and, and Dr. Greenberg included. Now, the one thing I would love to have asked is if whether or not his treatment method is research-based, is if there is any research done specifically on the techniques that he's using. For all the things that we want to do, or the, all the things that I try to do in treatment, uh, they are they are research based. So they are, they, are, they are, as they say, they are evidence based practices, which means they are tested and researched and considered and uh, uh, looked at the effectiveness of these techniques and tools. So I, I don't know if his approach is research-based. Um, it would be delightful in the future if, if it was to either validate his approaches to find out what's working in it or what's not working in it. So that is something that I wish I could have asked. I didn't, but that will be something to look at in the future. So the other thing that I really wish I had asked him is whether or not he includes a cognitive restructuring piece. Now, cognitive restructuring is going to be in the part of the cognitive component of CBT. So cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive restructuring, it's going to look at your thoughts. So this is where it, it gets a little tricky. Within traditional um, CBT, we're going to be going over some cognitive restructuring, which is basically thinking differently about your thoughts. You've heard me talk about this before if you're a, a, a repeat listener. Really, we're just looking at the thoughts that you have and to see, is there another way to consider it? Is the way that you're thinking about it the only possible option? Or are there different ways that are more rational, that are more based in reality, that are more uh, uh, based or grounded outside of fear? Because fear is going to jump in and kind of screw up everything for us, right? So I don't know if he would consider a cognitive restructuring piece. I really like that component, uh, which can certainly become compulsive. And I think uh, Greenberg would uh, would absolutely say it, it likely is compulsive. Um, but I like it for, for this point is that um, you've heard me say it before that OCD isn't a thought problem. It's a feeling problem. So it's not like somebody can't think correctly or can't think accurately or rationally. It's that anxiety comes in and kind of kind of pulls us in all these different directions and makes us think in irrational ways. But there is still that rational voice in our head. I usually will approach treatment and include a cognitive restructuring piece in most cases um, to help reinforce that rational thought. My, my favorite example, and I'm sorry if you've heard me say this before, it's, it's kind of like that class you take before skydiving. So that class you take before skydiving is going to talk all about the, the safety of of skydiving, the the procedures they go through, the equipment they're using, the order in which they're doing it, why they do things in different orders, or why they do things the way that they do, uh, in order to produce the safest and possible uh, safest possible jump for you, right? Um, and then they're going to have you sign a waiver that says you could jump out of a perfectly good airplane and go splat and die, 
right? So that class is ultimately just there to help give you a, a, an understanding that by and large, this thing that you're about to do is likely safe and is, is likely to not kill you. But you know what? You could still get killed. Your anxiety is going to, in your case, your anxiety is going to tell you that whatever you're about to do is bad, is dangerous. Something You're about to go splat, metaphorically speaking, or literally, depending on the case. So the cognitive restructuring piece in, in my mind helps to provide a firm grounding to then jump into doing exposures, to give yourself that permission to do it. So I don't know if he does that. I don't know if he would consider that just inappropriate. A lot of therapists out there, your therapist might do a cognitive restructuring piece. So it may not be if you're hearing uh, Dr. Greenberg and you're saying, my therapist just doesn't know what he's doing and this guy knows what he's doing. I would say talk to your therapist about the approach that he's using, he or she is using, excuse me. And just have a conversation about about how, why you're using the tools or why they are using the tools and suggesting the things that they think are working um, before you just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Additionally, while he does, while while Dr. Greenberg has a strong stance against ACT, um, and, and he added some caveats uh, that certainly you heard about, um, I still find ACT tools to be helpful or act skills that can be useful because I, I I don't know how how his approach applies to other diagnoses other than OCD it may just be that this is a highly specialized approach uh, that he is using only for OCD now if it is fantastic I, I still think learning some act skills for the general population for for you and me including those for OCD can be really really helpful because it, uh, act can apply to other diagnoses and other just stressful areas Areas of our life. So learning that we can have a broader range of emotion and just say that those feelings are okay. Recognizing that those thoughts that we have aren't who it is that we are, what we are, what we have to do. And that we can accept that feeling in those thoughts as just, you know, stuff that's in our life that we don't, that doesn't then have to guide the ship or guide the ship of your life. And that you and I can decide, and, and more specifically, is that we have a broader, fuller life when we are doing things that are consistent with our values. Now, I'll maintain, I heard a lot of what he's saying, a lot of what Dr. Greenberg is saying is consistent with ACT, that there's a lot of ACT in his approach. Um, but, but again, it's not to say that he does ACT, but because um, there, are, there are elements of a lot of different strategies and theories that are sometimes conflicting, but are, you know, it's, it's the same tool and technique, they just call it something different. It's not to say that now it's bad because it's also associated with this other tool and technique, but it's because um, that technique is is helpful. So whether or not we call it something different, sometimes it is ultimately just just the same thing. That being said, I am not as as um, uh, we, we can use the word either exact or persnickety about the words that we use. Obviously, if you've listened to me, I will use all sorts of weird words to describe things in roundabout descriptions that may or may not be helpful. But that's how I do things. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is, and it kind of pertains to that first thing I said, which is the different strokes for different folks. I think sometimes it's, sometimes people need the structure of some of these tools to help get them where they want to go. I 100% agree, and I, I, hopefully I, I didn't sound too enthusiastic or not enthusiastic enough or, or whatever, um, but I, I do really think that the response prevention is key to OCD treatment. Again, if you could do anything between exposure or response prevention, do response prevention. But that's easier said than done, right? If you could do that and you didn't need to talk to you know my, myself or Dr. Greenberg, our jobs wouldn't exist, right? So sometimes learning tools that help you get there are going to be helpful. Even though sometimes they can be, they can lend themselves to compulsion. Sometimes they are just a stepping stone to where we want to go. But for some folks, and again, different strokes for different folks, right? Some folks will need a, a bit of a, a crutch or a stepping stone, or or a, a approximation of the direction of where we're trying to go. Because just going in that direction or getting to whatever the there is might be difficult. To say to someone, we'll just stop solving the problem. Stop thinking about it. I mean, that's hard. That's easier said than done, certainly. So if you're having a struggle with that, I would say you're, you're probably not alone in that. I mean, I have trouble with that. 
So having some tools and techniques that kind of frame that for you might be beneficial. So again, I, I, if you are hearing the idea of just stop thinking about it, it's, again, it's not stop thinking about it, but stop solving the problem, and you're going, I can't really do that. I think you're. I think you're amongst a good a good group in that. Um, but to recognize that 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 that's an ideal that we're working towards, and sometimes we need some things that are going to help us to get there before we finally get there and can do it. Put it this way: um, they they make floaties for kids when they learn to swim. They're not just throwing all the kids in the water and say, "Good luck, kid." Sometimes, sometimes they do that, and sometimes kids successfully swim. And sometimes we need the structure of a floaty to get us there before we take the floaties off. So, hopefully that analogy makes sense. Um, but, uh, but I think ultimately those are my, my thoughts on my interview with Dr. Greenberg. Again, he was so generous to, to spare his time. I know he is a bonkers busy individual. Um, and, uh, and I think he's got a lot of, a, a lot of fantastic things. And uh, I think some of his techniques will certainly be permeating uh, the general treatment uh, for, for other folks. So we'll probably be talking about things like this in the future. Um, but, and I'm probably going to slide in our end music here at some point. But um, but everybody, if you have further questions about Dr. Greenberg's approach, or if you have further, just general for, further questions about OCD treatment in general, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can ask me that question there. Go over to the submit a question link and you can uh, uh, send in your question and I will read it. I will likely put it up on a future episode. Um, also, check me out over at the Instagrams. I guess it's just Instagram. It's what everybody else calls it. Uh, check me out on Instagram. I am fearcastpodcast. And uh, uh, I will. Uh, I, I put up announcements for episodes. I put up questions for things. I put up some uh, silly things from time to time. But check me out over there. All right. As always, uh, the Faircast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need help in your treatment or would like to get connected with a therapist, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you find help link. And you can. Uh, uh, there'll be some links there or some uh, some different resources that may be helpful there. Thank you for listening to this episode and my uh, my thoughts after the interview. Um, Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.